In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to be talking about wealth transfer in Canada. Whether you're going to be on the giving side or the receiving side, there's some important things that you need to know in terms of the planning. So we're hoping to take you through some of that today. That's right. We're talking about intergenerational wealth transfer today. Well, we kind of have the moving of one generation to another happening right now. Pretty much all the baby boomers are in retirement and depending who you talk to have finished ruining the world. So it's time to have a serious conversation about wealth transfer and what happens to the homes and the equity and everything else those boomers have laid up over the past 40, 50 years. A lot of analysts are saying there's about a trillion dollars in Canada ready to move from one generation to another within the next four years. So now more than ever, it's important to talk about how to understand wealth transfer and estate planning and how you can figure out how if you are older, how to get your kids the most possible, or if you're younger, how to have these conversations with your parents to ensure that something actually gets left behind. Oh, absolutely. And uh, how to manage it well so that it sustains you during your lifetime and that it's not just here today, gone tomorrow as well. Yeah, the times have definitely changed. You know, every generation will talk about the struggles that they've had and the difficulties that they've faced But things are certainly different now. I mean, we're past the point where we had a whole generation where if they had a house that they bought for, you know, $30,000, when they were in their 20s kind of thing, they have a legacy now that can be substantial. And depending on where you live, I mean, here we are in the lower mainland of BC, that's a million plus 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 for a lot of people. Um, We've seen a lot of people with pensions as well, those defined benefit pensions that seem to have gone the way of the dodo bird since then. And um, if you had a pension, maybe you have some investments left over. It's a very different financial 
picture. So we're heading into this period of time where this transfer of wealth is actually crucial to get as much money as possible into the hands of the next generation. Because with inflation, with wages kind of staying where they've been, kind of been more stagnant as compared to inflation over the last number of years, this influx of cash is going to be absolutely essential for parts of the younger generation to set themselves up, and not just themselves, but to set up their kids as well. Yeah, and that's going to be especially true probably for the next couple of years or so as recession, inflation kind of really start to take their toll. And another big part of this is it's not just moving the money, it's moving it in a way where the government gets as little as possible, legally, of course. Yeah, and with the ways that specifically real estate values have increased over time, equalizing an estate if you have more than one kid is something that becomes incredibly important. Sometimes it's easy to look at the assets that you have on hand. Oh, I got a house here. I got some money in the stock market over there. And kind of say, okay, kid A is going to get this. Kid B is going to be th- get this. But at the end of the day, there might be very different taxation on different types of assets. Um, things like the principal residence being tax-free, but the investment portfolios will have an element of taxation uh, Specifically, what comes to mind is a lot of people have uh, non-registered portfolios where maybe they've had a stock like uh, bank stock or Microsoft stock or something that they've liked that they've held on for years and years and years. Well, that's going to have a big capital gain at the end of the day. So if you're thinking about giving different things to different people, understanding what they originally cost and understanding what the taxation will be on those assets becomes so, so important. And we've bumped into situations as well where parents really do want to help their kids out, right? So I've seen a situation recently where parents had a little bit of property and they let their son, who's going to be married soon, so he's in his 30s, um, build on their land. Now, that land in the last two, three years has gone up in value so much that their assets are no longer equal. But how do you take a piece of property that you can't subdivide and the kid is going to want to keep his home now that his home is on this property, but they also have another son and they don't have enough other assets to kind of cover it off. So these are the situations that are starting to to pop up a little bit more. Uh, or even, you know, tales of this, what we would call today the super wealthy. A fellow I know in his 80s who unfortunately passed recently, he had bought two properties when he was in his 20s uh, for under 40K in prime area of Vancouver. And his estate now has $6 million of real estate kicking around in it, among other things. So normal people that maybe bought a house or maybe put a a bit of money in stocks a few years ago, well, by few, I mean several decades ago, 30, 40 years ago, could have some planning to do now, especially when they want to think about how to leave the most to their kids and also their spouses. So let's backtrack for a second. Um, I'm kind of curious about the first example where you had uh, parents of two kids. They want to give one kid the house, but they don't want to shortchange the other kid. And property in that area has, what, doubled or tripled in the last couple of years. So how can you help someone where there's just 
no extra investment income. There's no gold hiding in the basement, but they still want to find a way to equalize things between the kids. For sure. And I mean, this is kind of one of these scenarios where even with the best planning, who would have thought that real estate values would have changed as much as they did, right? So when they had originally had this thought a number of years ago, it wasn't as big of a deal as it is today. But in this case, like you said, there's no gold hiding in the basement. And um, even if there were, of course, they'd have to split it with the second kid. But it's putting their first child who now lives on the property in a difficult situation where he and his wife-to-be could potentially have to sell the home or take out a very large mortgage to equalize to his brother if that's the way things are left. And that's not a position that you'd want to put your kids in. And of course, you don't want the other sibling to say, well, well, wait a second, how come my brother got all of this and I got you know, the equivalent of diddly squat. Yeah, which is becoming a bigger thing in the courts over the last couple of years is where beneficiaries and descendants are fighting harder and opening up more lawsuits in order to get full splits like that. Oh, for sure. And I mean, if this stuff wasn't properly documented, the second child in this scenario could go to the court and say, no, 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 wait a second. Mom and dad wanted an equal split between me and my brother. And what they were really doing is he was just holding the property for the purpose of probate bypass. So we didn't have to pay extra probate fees on all the the value on the property when it hits the estate. And that's actually meant for me. So he could try and take it to court and he could have a legitimate chance, especially if what he was left was very little in comparison. So in this particular scenario, because of the huge change of asset values, these this couple, which is now in their early 70s, are looking into life insurance as a means of equalization, because essentially at this point in time, how else do you get some cash infused into the property? And we've talked about things like, well, you can use some money from your investments to pay for the insurance now. In their case, they had RIFs registered retirement income funds, that they wanted to start taking extra money out and paying tax at a lower tax bracket during their lifetime. So they can take a bit out of there. But we've even floated the idea of maybe the first child who's living in the property will have to take some kind of line of credit or some kind of debt to help pay for this equalization in the name of making it all balance out at the end of the day. So there are ways, but it's very much looking at what these things are worth and what they'll look like after taxes. Yeah. So like opening up like a a life insurance plan to kind of help split the difference can be a better option than litigation or the property getting sold afterwards. Well, that's it. And like we said, they had looked into trying to subdivide this property because of where they live and what the regulations are. It's not something that they can do. So really, the choices become a little bit more limited, especially because the son who lives on the property has put several hundred thousand dollars of his own money into building his own place there. So things... The best intentions, right, don't always end up cut and dry. But um, that is one example of of how sometimes you need to think a little bit outside the box. Yeah, let's hit up one more example quick before we move on. Uh, You mentioned before 
Uh, the person passed away. He bought property dirt cheap in Vancouver 30, 40 years ago. Now it's worth what, $6 million. So how has the estate been able to deal with this and how did estate planning help? Sure. So, yeah. And I mean, we see this one a ton of times, right? Where basically if you had a house in certain areas in uh, even the whole lower mainland now, you're, you're an instant millionaire and there's some wealth there that can be passed to the next generation. But when you're dealing with multiple properties, there's going to be a situation where you're going to have some very, very large capital gains taxes. So some decisions will have to be made, preferably with the beneficiaries ahead of time, about what is going to be sold in order to pay those taxes. Because when you have that kind of appreciation where a property has gone up from basically, yeah, $40,000 to a couple million dollars, two, three million dollars, there's usually not a lot of other assets except the asset in question that has to be sold during that period of time. So then depending on how many siblings there are, in this case, there was two. And the fights begin when people have different ideas of what to do with the property. So in this particular case, the property was in Vancouver and Vancouver City Council is in the process of trying to change basically their zoning rules so that you can have five or six strata units on one single property. So now the adult children are in a fight about do we sell this? Do we hold this? How long do we hold it for? And it's just another example of, okay, there's going to be big taxes to pay something will have to be done, but now they're fighting over when. And of course, the values in the real estate market can change quite a lot as you wait and try and come to an agreement, which again, sometimes you can't do without getting the courts involved, unfortunately, which just ruins the value of the estate for everyone. That's why it's so important as the parent or as the person giving the gift to be very, very clear about what your intentions are with what you're leaving. So in some cases, that may mean documenting it, writing it down, even sitting down with your lawyer and making sure that things are properly drawn up. In other cases, it might mean getting everyone in the same room and having those conversations. But either way, it can eliminate a whole bunch of hardship when your intentions are very clear right from the beginning. And anything concrete that eliminates the he said, she said, or dad told me this, but mom told me that, and that kind of conflict that can occur with it is always such a good thing. So please, if you think there will be those types of conflicts, talk to your lawyer and get that settled during your lifetime. Okay, so there's uh, one more scenario we should probably talk about. It's... Um... So the boomers, they saw the home prices inflating like crazy. They thought it was time to cash out. So they put their house on the market, sold at a huge boon, but then they had all this money and a lot of them, they just ended up putting in a non-registered account because they can't fit in a TFSA and a lot of them, they're past RSP age. So what happens with this windfall of real estate money that is now sitting in an account somewhere? Absolutely. And I mean, 
people will use this for different things. Maybe they've decided to rent, and so some of the money every month is going to rent. Maybe there'll be some healthcare costs that come up later on down the road. But the real big thing to watch here is just the amount of gains, capital gains, or depending on the type of asset, so dividend or interest income, things that are accumulating over time. So let's say you've sold this property of yours, you've downsized, or you've moved into a retirement living or some kind of arrangement like that. Now there's potentially 20 plus years of accumulation as this money is invested that it can grow, which is wonderful for your beneficiaries. But at the same time, it's easy to kind of look at the value on your statement and say, oh, great, I've got a million bucks. But depending on what you purchased your your assets for, so that's your stocks or your mutual funds or your seg funds for, then there will be some taxes owed at the end of the day. So again, it's just realizing that those taxes do have to come off the table. And I mean, there are scenarios as well that I've seen where parents are wanting to help their kids out and they end up borrowing money to do so. So if you found yourself in that position, then those debts need to be accounted for as well. Okay, so we kind of went through a couple of different scenarios that could happen. So we're just trying to highlight the fact that this estate planning and this wealth transfer, it can get complicated and it's very individual. So everyone really needs their own solution. But it's just being aware of that there's a lot of these things that can happen. So we've t- we kind of talked a lot about the person passes, income gets moved over, but there's still a couple other dimensions too. Like we can talk about what happens between parents where one tries to move something to the other spouse. What happens there? When you're in the planning stage, it's very, very common. People want to take care of their spouse first, right? They want to make sure that their partner has enough to make it through with whatever assets are remaining for the rest of their lives. So this is where it's important to figure out which assets roll directly to your spouse and which ones have to be sold before they can be transferred to the spouse. And this is where you've heard us talk about segregated funds before. Uh, They're basically just insurance company contracts, very similar to mutual funds, but done through an insurance company. And this is where there's huge benefits of being able to use contracts like this. And I feel like this is a nuance that gets missed quite a lot by people that are in the planning stages, because you can do things like deciding if you want a contract to continue to your spouse. Um, There's a trick where you get to name the person whose life the contract is based on, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the owner of the contract. So I can own an asset, but it can be based on my husband's life. Or if there's a significant age difference, you can even do it with kids so that the contract continues on for that period of time until the person who's named eventually passes away. Now, there are times and there are reasons. Sometimes you do want to trigger taxation at the end of person's life. Sometimes you want to defer taxation until both parties are gone. So let me give you an example there. Uh, Registered retirement income funds, RIFs, are the most common. They typically have a tax-deferred rollover to your spouse. That means if you're in a marriage or common law relationship, it essentially goes from one partner to the other 
with no taxes to pay today, but down the road there can be a huge tax bill to the estate or if there's beneficiaries that are named on the contracts, they can inherit that money, but the estate will still have to pay that liability. Well, exactly. This is money that came out of your RRSP at one point. So it hasn't been taxed, it's been deferred. So there's always going to be a wrecking on it, either with the person, your spouse inherits it and they collect off it to pay normal taxes there or the tax at the very end, because this is money that at no point has ever been taxed properly. Well, that's right. And that's why there's big opportunities for what we call or what are what are commonly called RIF meltdown strategies, which is basically, especially when you have two people. So both spouses are still alive and well, you've got two different tax situations. So both parties in Canada can move up from the lowest tax bracket to the highest tax bracket. You can save a lot of tax for a household by strategically taking out a certain amount of money every single year to melt those RRSPs, which are now RIFs, down. So rather than having the whole thing taxed to the estate after the second party dies, which here in BC, that's 53% tax bill. If your RIF is over roughly 250000 and change, um, you can take it out at a much lower rate. We just always caution people that are engaged in strategies like this to be aware of what income-tested government benefits they're receiving or if they're in an income-tested facility uh, due to care or their spouses, that might be something that has to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, it's a lot of nuance here, but the idea really is to just take out a little bit more than you normally would up front just to lower the bill at the end. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's your overall taxes paid. So you're trying to spread that out over a longer period of time at a lower rate than having one giant hit at the end. And suddenly your kids are going, well, wait a second, dad, I thought there was a million bucks here. And now we're only left with 500,000 divided by the four kids or, or as the story goes, right? Well, and speaking with kids too, another part of this planning really involves now, well, helping kids with down payments, which is something that is just growing in popularity and it's not just the young. You have to remember that the millennials, they're pushing 40 now. And with the way things have gone, a lot of them can't afford a home. So a lot of the boomer Gen X parents, they're trying to find ways to help with the down payment, which is, well, to be honest, a down payment now costs more than a house used to a few years ago. It can. And I mean, this falls into tax planning as well, right? Because it's now versus later. So if you are a parent and you want to cash in some stock or sell an asset to help your kids, that's going to have some tax implications for you today. But hopefully those are lower than what they would be down the road uh, on your final return when everything is being taken into account. So, I mean, we're all in favor of spreading around the love while you can. And I've talked to a lot of older parents who feel like they really just want to see their kids enjoy the asset or enjoy what they're going to be giving them, whether it's things like uh, capital to start a business, uh, going back to school fund. And I, I'm not just talking about college graduates. I'm talking about people that have kind of gone as far as they could with their career and maybe still aren't making the kind of money that they need to be making. So they need to retrain. Um, and then, like you said, the down payment is the big one. I think a lot of parents 
want to have that feeling that they've given their kids the ability to have at least a similar lifestyle of their own as what they had growing up. And like you were saying, Cam, that's a lot more difficult to come by these days on your own without a little bit of help. Well, exactly. And like I said, just the way that the generations are really timing out where a lot of the millennials, they're in the family stage right now. Like they're anywhere from early 30s to early 40s. And this is the time where they're trying to put down roots, get a home, get established. But really the way the markets have gone, it's like they're living in their early 20s all over again. Oh, for sure. Well, and I was looking at a report uh, that Manulife had put out not that long ago, and it was talking about this kind of trillion plus wealth transfer. And it was talking about how um, 70% of that is financial assets. So there was also a comment made based on the research they had done, or that they were quoting uh, that it was something like 32% uh, were of these parents doing these transfers, especially ones that had maybe a higher net worth, were worried about how their kids would handle these inheritances. And the the final stat was 36% of them were saying that they were worried that their kids didn't have the financial literacy to manage a potential windfall, kind of end quote. <laughs> so that's something to consider as well. What happens if you're an adult and you feel like your child is not responsible financially, or maybe they've gone through a situation where they've gone through a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal already. I ran across a case where there was a parent supporting his adult daughter into her 60s due to her having some mental health issues, and she had gone through bankruptcy twice because she wasn't able to to manage her money properly. And um, he'd actually bailed her out a couple times on top of that. Now, in that case, they were looking for something like a lifetime annuity. And what that is, is basically, it's kind of like setting up a pension for that person. It's payments for the rest of their lives. But the trick in this particular case was you don't want it to be too much. You don't want it to be too little. Um, You can also do trusts, but trusts don't really have preferential tax treatment the same way as they used to anymore. And they're very, very expensive to administer on an annual basis. And you do have to pay someone to administer them. Yeah, that, that's why we kind of tend to defer to annuities in this situation. Just less hassle, less cost, and it's just once the initial setup is done, that's really it. Yeah, so in this case, what we had done is we looked at all of her living expenses, what they would be after the father was gone, and we looked at inflation protection because now that's a feature you have to pay extra for on these kinds of things, but it is available if you want to keep up with increased costs that can be built in to some of that. And it was basically just making sure that she would have enough money on a monthly basis to keep paying all her bills. And he did set aside a little bit of money for her to have to spend, but his big concern was if he'd left the whole of the estate to her, it could be gone in an instant. Which isn't a far stretch, because we have seen with a few kids of clients where they took the windfall, got a few hundred thousand dollars, and it was gone within a couple of years. Oh, absolutely. And And it didn't go to like investments or real estate, it just got burned up. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen lavish trips, huge spendings, fancy cars, like the whole stereotypical you name it kind of thing. 
it really does happen if the um the mentality of this needs to last a lifetime is not built in then quick cash uh, you know we had a situation where a young gentleman who was just over age of majority inherited a bunch of money and instantly dropped out of school because there was no provision protecting him against that uh, and spent pretty well everything that he could until he'd spent it all in a couple of years. And again, absolutely heartbreaking where if there had been just a little bit of planning done or a little bit of conditions put on or even, you know, a trustee named for a later age, something along those lines, that could have been a prevented situation. Okay, so let's say you want to take care of your kids after you're gone. You, you're worried about a situation where they could blow it, so you put in some safeguards. But then there's other times where you know your kids are a bit more responsible, but at the same time, you have this fight going on where the kids are expecting this huge windfall that may not actually be there just because of, well, life. Absolutely. And I think as a parent setting realistic expectations for the kids, I mean, if the kid has it in their head that I'm going to get the house one day and maybe they won't, or maybe they're not aware that you've had some care costs or there's some debts against the house or the house is going to have to be sold to take care of some estate liabilities, those conversations really should be happening up front if that's something that you're comfortable with. If not, The next best thing is really to just encourage your kids, or if you are one of these adult kids, to get into financial literacy in a big way. And I'm talking the absolute basics. So running a budget, setting short, medium, and long-term goals, coming up with some structure to how you spend, how you save, how you handle your own debt, and making sure that you've kind of done your diligence and done your research so that you're aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly out there, right? Um, The biggest thing as someone who could potentially inherit money one day is to make sure that you've got those emotions in check and it's not a, ooh, I'm suddenly rich. It's a, how do I make this last? How do I make the wisest decisions possible for myself, for my future, and for my family's future, if I have one, to make sure that um, people aren't going to be stuck going forward in, in later years. So I guess in closing, I would just say to the parents thinking about all of this stuff, break it down, figure out what you want to do during your lifetime. What do you want to give now versus what do you want to do later? And then count the cost. And by count the cost, I mean count the taxation, count all the bills to the estate, the probate fees, the lawyer fees, the executor fees, any accounting fees, all of these taxes that might be hidden in your investments, especially if you've held them for a long time. Find out what all that is up front and then find out how you want to divide your estate. And if it is the traditional 50-50, if you've got two kids or a third, a third, a third, if you've got three, then just be aware of what assets would need to be sold to have that happen and make sure that that's something that everybody is comfortable with, especially the beneficiaries, because you might have one thing in mind, but they might have something else. Like one of the kids might think they're going to get the cottage one day, but the cottage needs to be sold to pay some of these bills. So if you see that you're in that kind of a situation, setting realistic expectations 
will actually help them over the long term. Because then maybe instead of falling into the, oh, I'm going to be fine, you know, this is going to be covered for me, um, then they might realize that there's a few things that they have to do. I know another gentleman who's been telling me for years how he's going to inherit a couple hundred thousand dollars and his retirement's going to be set. And I had to sit him down and say, how much do you spend every year? Oh, well, you know, 50K. Okay, how much are you going to get? Oh, maybe 200,000. Well, that's not going to last the rest of your life. And so what sounds like a big number (laughs) may not necessarily be. So you don't want your lifetime inheritance to be gone in four years. And you want to make sure that you've made the provisions. So if you are younger, you owe it to yourself. Learn as much as you can about good financial management, about investing, about budgeting, all the boring stuff, but really it's fundamental and it's absolutely crucial. And then of course, the last thing that we'll say is if you need help, please ask. Whether you're on the planning side as a parent or you're on the receiving side as a beneficiary, there is always work that can be done. There are always efficiencies that can be found. And during our time, I mean, the company's been around since the late 70s, 1977. We have stories on stories on stories about how people have come to us after it's been done incorrectly. And we've kind of had to untangle some messes. So if you are needing someone to help you with some untangling, or if you just want to do some proactive planning so you don't have your family ending up in that situation, feel free to give us a call, reach out. You can find us at Braun Financial, braunfinancial.com. And as always, we're happy to hear from you. So until next time, take care and all the best. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's a there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.